somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Vox Fridamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight on That Coven Show, no longer a talk radio maven, she's a Newsmax girl, Lydia Serrano, celebrity chef cooking something up for us, Andrew Gruel. He's a funny man, he'll make us laugh, John Christ, and actress, Amber Shanna Williams. And that's before the music spotlight with Ed Sheeran. Now, live from Times Square, the newly crowned hot chat capital of the world, especially with chatbot AIs, Here's that Kevin. All right. Welcome. Glad you're with us. It's uh, Kevin McCullough. Always enjoying being with you on the weekends, especially here on the Salem News Channel, because as you can just imagine, with the news being what it is these days, we have got a lot to get to every single week. So we are not to be without... Uh, the very important uh, headlines that, you know, made news this week. Uh, but as you just heard, a great lineup from New York tonight. Uh, Lydia Serrani, uh, you, if you're a New York uh, native, you may have been hearing her on WABC radio for the last uh, few years. Uh, she has left the radio and gone back to TV. She was in the TV, and then she went to the radio, and now she's back to the TV. Uh, Lydia Serrani, uh, a little bit later on. Uh, we will also get into uh, some very interesting discussions with uh, Andrew Gruel tonight. He's, he's, <clears throat> and I, look, it's, it's not lost on me that a Food Network food judge had the last name Gruel and works in the food business. But I'm telling you, don't judge a chef by his name. Andrew's going to be with us. We've got some very fun things to discuss. Will robots be taking over the food business? Well, they're taking over the uh, relationship business. Did you see that scary thing this last week? The chat bot, the, uh, the, the, and these are the new things. Chat GPT is going to write your term papers for you. But this thing was having a discussion with the New York Times reporter, getting a little flirty. <laughs> said uh, he didn't really love his wife, said that, uh, the, the, that he wanted to be soulmates with the chat bot. And the chat bot was asking him to let him out of the box. It's kind of kind of strange. I've been saying for years the robots are going to kill all of us. They might be on the verge of it. Age of Ultron had nothing on the chatbots. But that's uh, that's another discussion for another time. Anyway, uh, Andrew Gruel coming up. Lydia Serrani coming up. A little bit later, John Christ and actor actress Amber Shanna Williams will be with us. She's from that uh, little TV hit called The Chosen. But she's also going to tell us what it's been like in African Heritage, uh, African American Heritage Month, what it's been like working as a woman of color in Hollywood. Now, speaking of women, this is the story of the week. It's not the balloons. It's not the other things that you think may be the story of the week. No, 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 no. The story of the week, 
Nikki Haley actually had the temerity to enter the presidential race. Little side note here. I, I don't know why, but I didn't see President Trump give her a nickname or say something super mean about her. He just basically said, yeah, she said she wouldn't run against me, but she came to see me. She talked to me. I said, you got to follow your heart. She's very ambitious. She's at 1%. <laughs> no, he, he didn't. Well, he kind of said that, but he, that's, not, that's not exactly what he said. But all that being said, uh, shortly thereafter, she starts doing all the press that, of course, you do when you're a presidential candidate. And she made a statement about how really old politicians maybe shouldn't be in office anymore. And all you had to do to know that she was telling the truth is watch the 90-second press conference that President Biden had on Thursday trying to uh, mumble-jumble his way out of uh, whether or not the balloons should have been shot down or not. You know we spent $400,000 on one missile to shoot down a $12 balloon over Canada. Great investment there. Anyway, all that being said, uh, after she said that, made that observation about age and so forth, uh, the inglorious Don Lemon took it upon him, his, uh, himself, to uh, try to um, chastise her for making such a statement. It's all the talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's talk? Not Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that. Well, you know, politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking about prime for being president? What the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says twenties, thirties, and forties. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not. Not in their prime, and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to Google, know, Google or whatever it is. Google or whatever it is would say that Nikki Haley's not in her prime. Friends, I can't tell you how much I looked forward to seeing what certain women would have to say about the <clears throat> very erudite and obviously well educated Don Lemon. And it didn't take long. My very good friend, Megan Kelly. So, if you don't shoot the messenger, if you Google it, Google tells you a woman is past her prime when she's after 20, 30, maybe 40, he says. If you Google CNN, it comes up as the most trusted news source. So we can't always rely on Google, Don. The absurdity of suggesting that a woman is past her prime when she is 51 years old, like Nikki Haley. I just pulled just for fun, just for kicks, because you guys are both historians. Some, some of the best known women on earth in modern uh, history. Margaret Thatcher, she was 54 when she became prime minister uh, of Great Britain. Nancy Pelosi became speaker of the house for the first time when she was 67, past her prime, sorry, Nance. Kamala Harris was 55 when she became the vice president of the United States. Susan uh, Wojcicki, CEO of YouTube, she's 54. I could keep going. And by the way, what an insult to people like Dana Bash, who's 51, and his colleague at CNN. Sorry, past your due date. What does he mean by prime? Uh, I think he's going to have to answer that. And by the way, did Megan just out Dana Bash's age? I, is that is that allowed in the woman code now? You can tell the age of the. I I I've never seen that happen before. 
She, well, though, all those other people were no longer, but did she, Dana Bash, you called Dana Bash out. All right. I'm going to take his word for it. Here, here, but Megan was not done just yet. In fact, there may be much more to this Don Lemon story. It is part of a pattern, and it ties in with the allegations that have been made against him recently that he was screaming at his co-host, Caitlin Collins, because she had the temerity to interrupt him, and he was annoyed. It's hard to be demoted from the primetime solo anchor to the morning show co-anchor having to sell, share your set with these annoying women. Um, thank God they're in their prime. At least he wasn't subjected to that indignity. Look into it. If any reporter worth their salt would actually do some digging, call CNN. Do it. Call their HR right now. Find out whether he's got a history of harassing his female colleagues. I dare any reporter out there to do it. All right? I'll do it myself. I'll do it today after the show, and I'll get back to you on what they say. He does not respect women. He does not see women as equals. He views women who are over the age of 40 as past their due date. And this is who they have covering, Nikki Haley. How's that going to go? How are we supposed to look at him as viewers and take anything he has to say about female politicians, never mind Republicans, seriously? Uh, the incredible, articulate Megyn Kelly, per usual, the Megyn Kelly show on Sirius XM and, of course, uh, on her own video channel. I strongly suggest that you uh, tune into what Megan has to say on a regular basis. But all that being said, her point's quite valid. I, I, I want us to think, uh, think this through. What are the qualifications that Don Lemon has to be in a position to say that a woman specifically is in her prime? I mean, other than his very incredible method of research in Googling something that evidently told him in, in the most Walmart speak I can come up with, well, a woman's in her prime in her 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, you saw the list that Megan just noted there. Margaret Thatcher, 54, when she became prime minister. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, first time as speaker, 67. I mean, look, Dianne Feinstein's retiring. She's 89. I believe in term limits. I don't think these people should be there forever. The point that Nikki Haley was making is sometimes they stay there too long and they go a little loopy. And that's what the guy at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has been doing. But Don Lemon, come on, man. You're acting like, and you didn't even apologize. You didn't even apologize. What a jerk. All right, Kevin McCullough, that Kevin show is off and running. Don't go anywhere. Coming back from New York. From New York, it's that Kevin show. Hey, Kev, Senator Biden, President Harris and I were wondering what you thought of my State of the Union. Kev, it's Kamala. I wasn't really asking. Kev, it's Donald, your favorite president. Did you see that obscene display in the balcony? Cackle's husband kissing Biden's girl? Kev, it's Barack. Yeah, what was that? Kev, it's Delia. Um, just tell Barack and the others, I think that Jill was making up for lost time, you know, from all of his hair snipping. Yeah, Kev, it's Bill. Personally, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I don't know what these guys are talking William about. William Jefferson, you best stop talking. Kev, Senator Biden again, sorry. I apparently have butt-dialed you. Here he is, that Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right, my next guest is uh, someone who has gone back and forth between the field of television and radio 
and now network television. And uh, she has she has spent her life trying to tell good stories to people who needed to hear them. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Lydia Serrani. Thank you for having me, Kevin. It's such an honor to be with you. Hey, Lydia, it's good to see you. It's been a while. We used to uh, we, we used to kind of work together, you know, about a, about a century and a half ago. I know, right? It does seem like a century ago. We were right there at WABC Radio, giving the facts, giving the truth out there to the American people. Yeah. Um, well, and now you're with uh, Newsmax uh, TV, which is great. And um, I had Chris Ruddy on the show uh, two weeks ago and was reminding him that uh, about 150 years ago, I used to write opinion editorials for them when they were only a website, a uh, little bit more than a website now. What's going on over at Newsmax? I feel like I'm home. It's it's amazing what Chris Ruddy has done, whether it be magazine and they have the radio, they have the podcast, and then, of course, they have the TV. Even though a certain company named <clears throat> DirecTV is trying to, uh, you know, cancel us and uh, they deplatformed Newsmax, uh, 13 and a half million viewers now gone for us. And even though we're the fourth largest cable company in the country, it's just really shocking that this type of political censorship still goes on. I was reading this last weekend that uh, AT&T stock has hit um, kind of a crater because of all this. I, I, I had read the number $700 billion in lost revenue since the announcing of canceling Newsmax. Is that is that accurate? I know that their stock overall since they deplatformed Newsmax has dropped $10 billion. And AT&T 10, okay. owns $10 billion, yeah. And they own, AT&T owns 75% of DirecTV. So they're the parent company and they bear the the enormous responsibility of, of what they did. And then for people out there that say, well, you know what, it, you know, this is business, they're a private company, they can do whatever they want. I want people to understand that it doesn't stop with DirecTV. It doesn't end with Newsmax. This is just the beginning of them trying to shut down half of the country because right now DirecTV is paying 22 other liberal stations that have significantly lower ratings than the Newsmax. And Newsmax was, I'm, I, I've, this is a fact. This is a fact was asking for pennies a month. So most people that would have had still Newsmax on their direct TV, it would have been negligible on their bill. So they wouldn't even have noticed it. So yeah. clearly this was a, a move to shut us down, to shut down half, I, I believe half of the, half of America. Well, it's interesting, Lydia, and uh, we're going to get into your background a little bit, but as the uh, as the culture war has shifted and moved and kind of morphed over the, the years, different areas of, of focus come into play in different seasons. And right now, it seems to be the attempt to neuter or cancel speech that the left is the most concerned about. Uh, they, are, they are most concerned not about having an equal opportunity to put their ideas side by side, with those that are center right or common sense, as as we might put it, um, but they are they are more concerned about shutting down opposing viewpoints. And this is one of the ways they can do it. They can simply just unplug mm -hmm. the option for people to hear what you guys have to say. And considering that, I, I really do think, and I'd have to go back and look at the statistics, but I believe that Directv really made its bones when it added NFL Sunday Ticket. And that they had the exclusive to get every NFL game in the in the world, and you could watch it every week, and blah blah blah. That was kind of their calling card. They've mm -hmm. lost Sunday Ticket, 
Uh, it's going to be on YouTube going forward on a different uh, level. And now you're starting to pick off audiences that would bring them considerable viewership that they're trying to sell to advertisers. What's the strategy here? I think it's just uh, ideological. That's what I think this is. Whoever controls the message, control the masses. Because why would you shut down the fourth largest news cable station in the country? It's really incredible if you think about it. I'm not just saying this because he's my boss, Chris Ruddy. What he has done with Newsmax in just a few short years... You can ask 100 people on the street if they know about Newsmax, and I guarantee you 90% of them do. And I know a lot of my relatives watch it, and a lot of people are contacting me now on social media, and they're saying, you know what? I can't canceled my AT&T cell phone. I canceled my DirecTV. And I I applaud the congressional members and a lot of political leaders that are – they say they want to investigate what is going on here. I understand DirecTV is a private company, but this is – this is really bordering on propaganda. This is really, uh, I think, an assault on free speech. Well, and considering that we're within two years of an election cycle for president uh, in which a lot is going to be on the line, I, I, I just can't help but see some uh, political shadowy figures behind the scenes here. Let me mm-hmm. ask you a couple of other questions. Um, the, the entirety of kind of the center-right conservative universe seems to have come to Newsmax's aid here. And I I will say that the the whole world didn't quite do that with um, One America News a little over a year ago. And Chris, when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, said that was a mistake, uh, even on Newsmax's part. But I'm on Salem. Uh, We own a lot of radio stations and our own news channel. Um, There, I know that there are other people uh, within other networks that are uh, rallying to your aid. Um, This is a battle. Mm-hmm. to just allow free speech and alternative opinion to be able to be given, is it not? I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I don't even consider myself a conservative. I'm actually a registered independent. I vote for the best person. I have common sense, traditional values. And what I do when I host on Newsmax and every show that I contribute to, we just simply tell the truth. We tell yeah. all sides of the story. What is so wrong with that, Kevin? Evidently, it's kind of scary and threatening to some. Um, I want to get a little bit into uh, what you were doing because you've just come to Newsmax within the last uh, month or so. And before that, a lot of people that may be watching or listening uh, because we're on 300 radio stations right now as we speak. We're on two television networks, Biz TV and Salem News Channel. Um, But you you just came out of talk radio. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious – the um, I have my own opinions about the difference in, in the TV business and the radio business, but I'm curious now that you've had a good opportunity to kind of saturate yourself in both worlds, what do you like about the different mediums? What did talk radio do for you? Did you learn anything through that process as a, as a subway stop between your local television career and now your national television career? I love radio. I really do love radio. There is nothing better than sitting there and talking to the people. The biggest compliment I get from listeners or from viewers, they're like, you remind me of my neighbor. I feel like I'm talking to my daughter. I feel like I'm talking to my friend because that's what this is about. I'm not talking at you. We're we're talking together. We're having a conversation. I'm not ranting and raving like a lunatic. We are just discussing the topics that are really concerning to us and trying to figure out what we can do to save our country save our kids and, you know, be able to practice our faith and and speak our truth. Well, I've noticed for a long time that people that only work in TV have a really hard time when the teleprompter breaks. 
Mm. But if you've worked in talk radio, you've learned how to think on your feet and think quickly. She's Lydia Serrani. It's That Kevin Show. We're coming right back live from New York. Stick around for more of That Kevin. Next, That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. from New York, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough. Welcome back from New York. It's Kevin McCullough. Glad to have you with us. It's a lot of fun. I'm so thankful to have my friend Lydia Serrano with us tonight. Um, We have almost every week, Lydia, featured someone from the news industry uh, in this segment of the show. Not that I'm really trying to do that, but um, the way news is reported today is so vital for the masses to understand accurately the issues that are at play in the world around them. And I'm curious as to um, you take a number of factors into the broadcast arena with you. And one of the things that you did when you were on radio in New York is that you were very unapologetic about being um, a Christian and you Mm -hmm. lived that out. And I'm wondering why that's such a motivating factor in your life. I think it comes from my upbringing. So my parents are ethnic Albanian. They grew up in a communist country and believe it or not, they were persecuted for their faith. You had to hide being a Catholic. That's what we are. The majority of Albanians are actually Muslim. And that's because when the Turks came in, they forced everybody to convert to Islam. And my generations, my family back, they hid out in the mountains to preserve their faith. The one of the priests at my church, he, you know, he was he was persecuted while he was in the seminary. He was put in prison. They they asked him to renounce his faith. Hmm. And he said, Absolutely not. I'd rather go to jail and I'd rather die than renounce my love for Christ. And so for me, I'm getting goosebumps now, even just thinking about him, Father Nicolini. And it just it, I feel it every single day that Christ is with us and God's watching over us. And I think that's what's happening to our country right now. There's a battle for the soul of this nation. And right now, I think we're losing a little bit. You see what's going on with the kids. You see what's going on with the culture wars. You see you see it all over the place. And I feel like it's our duty, you're, you're a Christian as well, and mine, to speak the truth and, and bring back people into the fold where they belong. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because... Just in the last two years, um, we have seen, and you're a parent and I'm a parent, we've we've seen things um, go into the school systems. We've seen things um, uh, attempt to undermine parents. I mean, the the story of the Mm -hmm. CRT and transgender ideologies that are being pushed in the the public schools across the country. And in some places now, there's even this this push to um, help the child transition at school Mm -hmm but hide it from their parents in their home. There's there's many people that haven't heard about this, and this is why Newsmax and Salem and what we're doing is so important, because if we don't tell that story, those parents never know. But I'm curious if over the last couple of years, if you've seen a pushback from parents because of uh, what we were just talking about. Oh, absolutely. I get phone calls and emails on and social media messages all the time saying, I had no idea this was going on. Then they inquire into their school and they find out their children's school and they find out that there are kids that are non-binary using the bathrooms. And I just read an article recently in the free press by a whistleblower, a woman that was working in a transgender clinic. And this woman is a self-professed queer woman who leans left of Bernie Sanders and is married to a trans man. 
And she is horrified by what is going on in these clinics. And back in, I think, 2017, we had just a handful of these uh, mutilation clinics all throughout the country. Now they're over 100. She said when she first started working there, they got about 10 calls a month. Now they're getting about 70 calls a month. And she's seen children as young as 11 years old being prescribed hormones after meeting with the doctor for about a half an hour. And what horrified her even more was not only obviously that this kid is 11 years old, but that the mother was using the child as some sort of a chess piece in a divorce battle. So you're seeing this time and time again. And a lot of these kids don't even realize that the hormones and the surgeries and all of that, there's no turning back. I think we're going to see a lot of like 30-year-olds with osteoporosis. Kevin, do you know some of the drugs they give these kids are used for metastatic breast cancer and prostate cancer? We're giving these kids poison and they're using mine and your taxpayer dollars to do it. It's really horrific when you think about what's going on. They're justifying it as being okay because that's what the child wants. Right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm the father of a seventh grader and he's the oldest of my children, he has no clue what he really wants in life yet. That's the job that I'm supposed to help him figure out before he's 18 to 21 and leaves the house. But the idea that you can do all this stuff, leave the parents in the dark, I really think that they're messing. I think they're grabbing the tail of the tiger here because I don't think that American parents are going to put up with it for much longer. Hey, real quickly, um, we're almost out of time. I know that my listeners and viewers would like to help Newsmax. What's the phone number that they can call and uh, make that request for DirecTV to, to keep them on. Call one eight seven seven Newsmax. That's one eight seven seven Newsmax. Cancel your Directv. Cancel your AT and T, and make your voices be heard. That you will yeah. not allow them to assault our free speech not one second longer. All right, Lydia Serrani. Good to see you, friend. Be well. Thanks for being Thank- here. Thank you. It's that Kevin show, and don't forget Ed Sheeran in the music spotlight tonight. You don't want to miss this brand new stuff from him. That's uh, straight ahead, uh, very, very in the near future. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Ready or not, he'll be right back. That Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, my next guest is a celebrity chef, and he has been a judge on Food Network's Food Truck Face-Off, founder and executive chef of the Slapfish Restaurant. Please make welcome Andrew Gruel. Hello, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Hey, uh, Kevin McCullough, my viewers and listeners know without a doubt that I am an absolute foodie. And I know that uh, the week of Valentine's is very, very busy. So thanks for taking time out to this week to talk to us. Um, there's a lot going on in the food world, and some of it's concerning to you. I was noticing on your Twitter feed earlier today that they're actually talking about robots coming to make our meals. How is this going to happen, Chef Andrew? Well, they're replacing units of labor with robots. They can flip burgers. They can drop fryer baskets, the basic rudimentary elements of a restaurant right now. We've seen it with the kiosks where they're taking your orders and therefore removing the necessary sales team that you would have punching in your order. You call it that counter sales. And they're getting a lot more sophisticated now. So they're actually able to prep things, co-pack, 
do the things that are even a step beyond just kind of turning and flipping a burger. So the idea is, is that they can continue to cut down the units of labor necessary to run a restaurant. Let's say it was 20 people to run a restaurant. Maybe they cut down two units, right? That's 60 plus thousand dollars a year. Another two, another two, they get it down to five and they've cut down the labor force by 75%. Well, okay. Say it's feasible. How is the bot going to know if my steak is medium, medium rare, medium well, where's the nuance going to come from? I mean, it's one thing to teach a, to teach a joint, to turn the, the thing over. It's another thing to be able to look at it, smell it, know that it's where it needs to be. Certainly. Well, I think the idea is, is that they're kind of turning food into just such a, a bland commodity, um, both literally and figuratively. So the idea is that if eventually all steaks are cut in an exact way, and all the fat and the marbling is exactly the same based upon the fact that they're now genetically modifying the meat, then the robot's going to know that it's five minutes at 350 degrees. It's going to have an infrared um, you know, thermometer. It's going to know another five minutes at this to, to hit X, mid-rare, what have you. And then they're just going to scientifically program it such that the algorithm doesn't necessarily have a, a variance or a degree of uncertainty. And we as humans, we have degrees of uncertainty, and, and uh, we're even off sometimes too. So you know, if they say that humans miscook a steak 10 to 12% and robots do it 8 to 10% and then they change the food that they're cooking, that's the key. That's my concern is it changes the food so you don't have that nuance that you're referring to right now. Yeah. Well, okay. So as an artisan, because I would I think most chefs think of themselves as much as uh, artists as anything else, how does this strike you? What, what, what are your thoughts on the robotization of the food industry? I don't think it'll ever take over when it comes to kind of real food, fresh food, changing your menu out frequently, peppering in that artistry, if you will. I think when we when it comes to fast food, already so much of it is mechanized. We don't even realize it because much of our food is no longer prepared on site. It's all prepared off site in factories. It's par cooked. It's treated with chemicals and preservatives. You know, to bring this to da to daily news, what we're seeing out in East Palestine, Ohio, and those chemicals, I don't think people realize that the chemical that they're so scared about right now, it's in a lot of our food. It's antifreeze. It's used as a preservative and the highly diluted levels. Our food is full of chemicals to begin with. Um, so it's only going to make this thing more chemical laden, more, you know, uh, rob roboticized. No, well, this explains why I haven't been to a fast food place in quite some time, uh, yeah. just, you know, being candid. Um, let me shift gears a little bit. Um, and you're unusual from this standpoint. Um, a lot of chefs don't want to weigh in on the, the weightier issues sometimes of the public policy of the day. But you have some thoughts on the Biden IRS plan to crack down on wait staff, specifically trying to um, – well, kind of what they did with Venmo and PayPal, try to try to checkbox every single little tip that someone's getting in the business, uh, your reaction. Well, these are the things that they're going to spend money on. And in the end, right, let's do the cost benefit analysis. The amount of money that they're going to gain is by, you know, penalizing these low wage workers is going to be far outweighed by the investment that they're going to put into the IRS agents that are going to have to audit and ultimately get into that granular detail. And you ask yourself, well, then what's the purpose? If it's a net loss, what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is, is that they want to grow the bureaucracy. They want to increase the size of the government. 
and they want to use this almost as an authoritarian arm to scare people, right? Because they come after our wallets. They're not going to have stormtroopers walking around, but these IRS agents, it's just as scary because ultimately it affects your bottom line, your life, your livelihood, food, all of that stuff. So it's absurd, number one. Number two, the corporations that they've effectively merged with the government they're not going to be getting audited. They're not getting smacked on any of this stuff. You know, once again, I go back to the East Palestine issue right now in, in Ohio and look who's behind that. Just follow the money. And are they going to get penalized? Who's going to be footing the bill for this type of these issues that we're dealing with right now? The American people are. Sorry about that. Well, let me uh, let me and I agree with you on, on all of those things. And that's why I think less regulation is ultimately the better benefit for uh, the culture. Let me let me shift gears completely. I'm a diehard food fan. If I'm at Slapfish this week, what am I ordering? What's the best thing on your menu? What are you most excited about that you're serving right now? I have to say, just as a caveat, so I sold Slapfish last year. Uh, I started a new restaurant group. It's called American Gravy Restaurant Group. And okay. our flagship restaurant is Calico Fish House. It's a seafood chop house. So we're rolling out a Valentine's menu this whole week. I'm doing crab stuffed full lobster. I'm doing lobster caviar fries. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're doing everything from your raw dressed oysters and we're finishing. I actually just signed off right now. I bought an entire side of A5 Wagyu ribeye, which uh -huh. is just marbled. It looks like a snowstorm. So I'm going to be doing that sliced thinly, just kissed on the grill and then put on top of buttered brioche toast with a little caviar on top. Uh, if you want, you know, I'll lace it with some lobster sauce and there's your serpent turk. Oh man. <laughs> Chef, please come back and talk to us again sometime. You, you just made it rain in my mouth, and that's, that's, oh, that's, wow, that sounds really good. Best well, wishes. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. it. Kevin McCullough, coming right back. Don't go away. Spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. Serving it up with a no drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, Ed Sheeran. You see tonight, it could go either way Hearts balanced on a razor blade We are designed to love and break Then to rinse and repeat it all again I get stuck when the world's too loud And things don't look up when you're going down I know your arms are reaching out from somewhere beyond the clouds
his newest and my seven-year-old won't stop singing it <laughs> ed sheeran in the new music spotlight go and subscribe and get it for free hey get the soundtrack search hashtag new music spotlight on spotify or apple music 